Maybe it's because I'm inadequate. Sometimes the simple logical conclusion is hard to reach, you know. <laughs> well, that was beautiful and very much appreciated. Well, I had not intended to go where I'm going today, uh, as of yesterday. Uh, I had other scriptures lined out, but I want to splice a section in here, which I feel is very important for us, especially in the light of what was said yesterday and some news that I've come to be party of in the last 24 hours. The sermonette tied in very beautifully with where I'm headed today. I picked up on that part about God not healing in the church much anymore. We do have some healings here and there. We do not by any means have the dramatic type of healings that we saw in the 50s and 60s. And it's sad. We have some people here who are very heavy of heart. The Durkies with a, grand, uh, a daughter-in-law who has cervical, cervical cancer and three months pregnant. It's easy for us, perhaps, to hear a prayer list. We've been hearing prayer lists for year after year after year. And it's easy to send up a prayer, maybe not a truly heartfelt prayer. Maybe we feel the grief to one degree or another and the sadness and the suffering, but it's hard to interpolate ourselves into the very shoes and feelings and beings of those people who are suffering and who look at the grim possibility of possibly themselves and their loved ones dying, perhaps a baby who's had no chance at life dying right there. We're in a very hard society that in some cases just kills babies before they're born. I say some cases by the millions how hard we are, how uncaring the peoples of this nation have become, how calloused in our emotions and feelings. And I don't know how much that's affected us. It's affected us, I know, to one degree or another. And perhaps we lack the depth of compassion for each other that Jesus Christ felt upon the multitudes. And sometimes he would heal simply out of compassion and for no other real reason. Now, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He feels the pain of this whole world and of these people and just the physical nation of Israel. And if he feels their pain, he feels our pain even greater. So much deeper does he feel our pain. But in some cases, he's not reaching out. And in fact, I guess you would have to say in most cases right now, he's not reaching out. And we've understood and preached a lot about the sins in the church and the, the lack of caring and perhaps the lackadaisical approach, which is a lack of compassion. And we felt badly when we've seen people dropping, not only spiritually away from God, but dropping physically into their graves. So I feel a great burden because I feel it is the ministry's fault as much as anyone else's. That we have let you down and we've let God down by not being what we should be. 
And I'm going to explain that as we get into this. Do remember, though, that Job had more children at the end. Now, that did not replace in his physical life those that he lost. And he didn't have as many at the end. But he was blessed with some more children to partially ease that pain. But you know what? Job didn't lose those children all for his sake. Job did not lose his everything he had and his health just for his sake. We can read that and say, well, Job needed to learn some lessons there. Well, yes, Job did. He needed to see God for what God really was. But do you think Job, God did that to Job just for Job's sake? What about all the other people of God over the centuries and millenniums who did not go through that specifically in that way, who had just as much lack of vision of God as Job did, probably more, because he was a truly righteous man. It says so. God did that to Job as much for you and me as he ever did it for Job. It was set down in writing and passed through the millenniums for you and me. When we talk about God emphasizing something, here's a story about one man that's, what was it, 38 or 40 chapters long. 42 chapters, I think it was. About this one story. And it goes on and on and on and on. I think Job probably had more press than most of the more luminary characters of the Bible mentioned in Hebrews 11, just in that one book. There is a powerful lesson for us there that we have to capture the awesomeness of God and his creation and what he is able, able and capable of doing that God gives and God takes away, and God gives back, and he is the one in charge. And we have to come to see him as Job saw him. We have to come to have the kind of faith that Job ultimately wound up with. Now we'll get into this, and we'll see that we have a responsibility here something that we need to accomplish. And it has to do with government. We'll see that very clearly. It has come to my attention that Roy Hyatt has had a diabetic condition for about 15 years. And he has prayed over the years that God would protect his eyes because they often go with diabetes. And so far, his eyes have remained good, and he's been able to function properly and read and study and, and do the things that he needs to do. But his feet are a different matter. And the, the circulation is cut down considerably. Probably a majority of the circulation is cut off. And here at the feast, his big toe is basically split apart, and I would say it's losing its integrity from looking at it. It's dying for lack of blood. Now, Roy is not whining. 
Roy is not complaining. Roy came to me and said, can I be anointed? I have a problem with my toe. That's about all he told me. So he was anointed. And the next day he came back and he said, this thing is split open and it's bleeding and it's a problem. Now, he's not in much pain because he, does just, he doesn't have much feeling down there. He's feeling some pain higher up in his leg as of yesterday afternoon because there's more nerves and more feeling a little higher in the leg. But I've grown to love that man via email and a few phone calls over the last few months as a brother. And I feel he's just part of my flesh. He has been so instrumental in helping so much in getting us here. And some of you know that. If I need something done, I email Roy or call Roy and I get an email back in about 15 minutes, done. Or if it's something that takes a day, I get an answer back in a day, done. What's next? And I very much appreciate that. And it's not done with an attitude of, uh, of the boot polishing or anything of that nature. He just simply wants to help you. So I feel very deeply that pain, and I feel very deeply the pain of the Durkees who are here that we hardly know yet, but I know they're suffering greatly with that situation. What's it going to take? He's facing a possibility of death. He came to me yesterday and said, my toe is worse. I've made a decision. He didn't ask me what his decision should be. He said, I have made a decision. I'm leaving this in God's hand. Whether I live or whether I die, I am the Lord's, in essence. Now, I feel a very heavy burden there that I need to do what I can to help another part of my body be healed and feel well. I got thinking about that last night. I want you to know, Roy, you've cost me a little bit of sleep. I say that half-jestingly, but it was sleep well missed. Because I got to thinking about me and what my responsibility toward him and toward the Durkees is. We are all one body in Christ. We have many parts, but we are all one body. And if one suffer, they all suffer. Now, am I doing things that are causing this suffering? You see, the whole body sinned, and we've seen that. And God scattered the whole body. Now, for that body to be gathered back together and respond to God in the proper way means that each member must do its part toward accomplishing that. That's what the, we were talking about yesterday, about the different parts of our body submitting each to the other, and self-government. And I realize that I'm letting these people down by drinking coffee. This is not going to be a sermon about coffee. And you can have coffee if you wish. But coffee, to me, is a sin. I'll explain. I had hepatitis when I was about this tall, and my eyes all turned yellow, and it probably damaged my liver some. 
We're supposed to confess our faults one to another, James 5, 13 and 14, and the prayer of faith will heal the sick. And then in the 70s, uh, hepatitis epidemic sort of went through an area that we were living in in Idaho, and several people in the church got it. Two women almost died. Came very close to it, and I got it again. I didn't get that sick, but I'm sure it damaged my liver some more. And then I drank enough for a lifetime there over about a 10-year period in the mid-70s and early 80s. Um, so I don't need to drink anymore. I've had enough for a lifetime. <laughs> Although occasionally it doesn't hurt, I don't suppose, a whole lot. But uh, alcohol is not good for the liver either, you know. So I basically quit drinking alcohol several years ago. I have a drink maybe once a month, and that's about it. Maybe I shouldn't even have that. But I like coffee. Coffee's harder on me to give up than alcohol ever was. And I realized some time back, you know, I really shouldn't drink this at all because I go around with pain right here a lot of the time. I guess it's my liver. I don't think I've had a, my heart's dropped that far. I haven't been examined, but I know I've had hepatitis, and I know I drank too much alcohol for a while, and I know I've had too much coffee for way too many years. So I cut way back on it, but it still hurts me when I drink coffee. So I realize that if I am hurting and harming my body by drinking that, that is sin to me. And I decided to face it squarely last night, that if it's sin to me, then it's sin in God's body, it's sin in God's church, and therefore it is helping prevent the Durkee's daughter-in-law from being healed and Roy Hyatt from being healed and this one and that one and the other one from being healed because of my sin. Now, is that a tenuous connection or not? Remember the story of Achan? Out of all those peoples in Israel, only one took of those treasures of the spoil of battle. And what was it, 20,000 or 40,000 people? I think it was 20,000 died in that particular instance because of that one man's sin. Now, does what one part of the body do affect? Oh, does That was really poor grammar. <laughs> does what one part of the body do? Well, maybe it wasn't too bad if I can finish it now, uh, affect the rest of the body? Yes, it does. I mean, there were a lot of grieving parents and grieving husbands and wives after 20,000 people died because of that one sin. Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And my sins affect you whether you know it or not. We have the popular saying in the United States, if it doesn't hurt anybody, it's okay. It's just me. I'm free. I can do what I wish, and it only hurts me, not anybody else. We cannot have that cavalier approach to each other here. We are of the same body, We're supposed to be of the same mind. And the sin that one does does affect another whether we know it or not because God is the one up there who sees it all and he can turn on the blessings or he can turn off the blessings he has that capacity because he made this earth 
He made this universe. He is the sovereign who rules it all. He sets over the kingdoms the basest of men. He chooses and selects and puts into his church those he wants there. And what they do has an effect. And he has shown that he is willing to bless or curse the whole body based on what some parts of the body do. So we are interrelated like a jigsaw puzzle. We cannot be separated and still be part of the body, part of the picture in terms of the jigsaw. So why do people die? Why aren't people healed more? Well, one reason is because I sin. Because I still drink coffee. I had some last night. I hurt some of the night. It wasn't Roy that kept me awake. It was partly because I hurt. Now, God partially healed me of this one time. I was in pain a lot. We were living in Alaska, and I didn't trust the people up there to anoint me because I knew they didn't believe in God or believe in healing anymore. So I looked up a minister down in Pasadena when I happened to be down there on business that I believe still believed in God and had him anoint me, and the pain went away. Now, driving from Alaska, I'd probably consumed several gallons of coffee, and I was in a hurt by then. But as I walked out of his house, the pain was gone, and it stayed gone for a long time. And the only time that I would feel it at all was when I would really, really abuse my body. Maybe drive 20 hours a day going home for four or five days and drink coffee some more. That was the only time I felt it at all. The rest of the time it had gone away. So it was partially healed, but I think there was a thorn left there in the flesh. And it's been there ever since, and it's gotten a little worse over time as I have not taken care of myself properly. And now I've come to recognize that that is sin to me because it's hurting my body and it's hurting my brothers and sisters because it is sin to me. So I'm telling you right now, if you see me pick up a cup of coffee, snatch my hair out. Marla wasn't feeling well today. I'm glad she didn't hear that because she'd frankly do it. <laughs> and May, when she hears, don't you tell her. No, but I mean this seriously. You can go back there and drink a cup of coffee. It's not sin to you, probably, but it is to me because it's not good for my body. This is just a little thing, isn't it? But, but if we're faithful in a little, won't we be faithful in much? Isn't it the little things that add up that count? Now, let's examine some scriptures. I don't mean to to zero in on that, but I, I wanted to use it as an example to show how we are interrelated and how we cannot do things in a corner and that what we do truly does affect the rest of the body. You think a toe isn't important? Roy looks pretty good sitting back there, you know, getting old and so on, but, but he doesn't look too bad unless you have him take his sock and shoe off. Then he looks pretty bad. That is what that little toe, that big toe down there 
little compared to the rest of the body, but it's his big toe. Does it have an effect on the rest of his body? It may kill the rest of the body. If I keep pouring stuff down there that isn't good for a weak liver, then it's going to cause my legs to die and my head to die and my heart to die, and I'm going to begin to stink and have to be hid somewhere. Because that one member killed me. So this puts a heavy burden on us to be aware of each other and to be aware that our activities and our thoughts and our actions really do affect one another. Let's go to Hebrews 2. I wanted to make a sermon along these lines anyway, and this just un underlined the necessity to do it, and perhaps to drive in the point about self-government and how we have to be aware of our actions. But a man brought Hebrews 2.4 to my attention before the feast. He had never studied the gift of the Spirit, or the gifts of the Spirit, uh, in any depth at all, and one day decided, well, I'll use that for my Bible study today. And he became very aware of the gifts of the Spirit of God. He also read Hebrews 2.4, which says, God also bearing them witness, speaking of the apostles here, both with signs and wonders and with different miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. And he said, from the time I studied the gifts of the Spirit in 1984, I became very aware of the ministry reading in Hebrews 2. Every time they approached Hebrews 2, he said they would read the first three verses, then perhaps they would expound on that a little bit, and they would come back and they would start reading in verse 5. He said, since 1984, every time I have heard Hebrews 2 read, not one minister has ever read verse 4. I had a ready answer for him. We have a toothless, powerless, effete, weak, willy-nilly ministry today who do not like to read about signs and wonders, who do not like to read about gifts of the Spirit because they don't have them. They're gone. So subconsciously, unconsciously, or subliminally, they simply skip over verse 4 because they can't read it before the people. That's the bottom line. Now, what to do about it? What to do about it? 2 Corinthians 12. We're facing a crisis, brethren. We're facing a crisis of not having the Spirit of God flowing through the church the way it needs to flow through. And we need to find out what's blocking that. They find that your heart has blocked arteries. What do they do? They rip you open and clean those rascals out, don't they? If you let them. If we find a blockage where God's Spirit is not flowing through our hearts and minds and our 
activities, then we need to find out how to get rid of the blockage. Chapter 12 and verse 12, 2 Corinthians. Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. So Paul had signs and wonders. Everyone he anointed was not immediately healed. In Acts 2, after God's Spirit came, it had free flow, and God directed it through that group of people so that even Peter and John's shadows passing over people would heal them. That did not always stay. Those people had a goal and a vision and a purpose. And God worked through them, and he witnessed his power there. He showed that he was working there. And it wasn't just through those things. It was a great earthquake and darkness when Christ died, and the veil of the temple ran in twain, which must have just perplexed the Jews no end. He showed he was God. Now, once that was firmly implanted in their minds, and as they continued to live, and there were all kinds of sins in the churches, some of that began to die out. And Paul even left one man figuring he was going to die. So it wasn't always that there were great, mighty signs and wonders, but we're coming up on a time in history when that is supposed to return, according to Joel 2, 28 through 32. And are we ready for that? Are we humble enough and meek enough that we could accept the gifts of God coming back to us? I mean, he had humbled Paul pretty well by blinding him on the road to Damascus and working with him and, and Paul had been a very vain, egocentric person, full of the knowledge of Gamaliel and proud of being a Benjamite, proud of circumcision, proud of all the things that he had been. And then he came where he counted it as dung. I don't know whether you know what dung is or not. It's kind of an old King James word. But that's what he looked upon, all those things he had been later on as. But God used him. Now, I'm a little ahead of the story. Let's go get back to Matthew 10. Matthew 10. He commissioned his disciples. Verse 1, And when he had called to him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits, to cast them out, to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. I don't even know that a lot of the ministers in the church today would even know an unclean spirit if they saw one. Do we have the discernment of spirit? I think there was more of it back in the 50s and 60s. We dealt with demons. I don't know whether we even recognize them anymore or not. They're still around just as much as they were in Christ's day. They're still around just like they were in the 50s and 60s. They still affect people. We call it schizophrenia or psychoses or various other terms today, but it's still demonism. And sometimes we have great difficulty even discerning them, much less casting them out. What's wrong? Remember the one that beat up on some guys when they tried to cast him out? Said, we know Peter, we know Paul, I think it was, but who are you? Pounded him about the head and ears. Well, he gave these apostles, disciples at that time, power to 
deal with demons, to heal sickness, and all manner, notice, of sickness, and all manner of disease. Not just colds that might have gone away anyway, and you're not sure it was a miracle, but leprosy and cancer if they had it, and all kinds of diseases that were life-threatening and life-taking unless healing occurred. And in some cases, when the death occurred, healing from death, i.e. a resurrection a few times. What are we missing? What are we lacking? Uh, you might say, well, that was just them. Well, we've already seen a scripture showing that Paul also had those signs and wonders follow him as an apostle, and he wasn't here when this commission was given. He told them to go out, preach in verse 7, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils, freely you've received, freely give. He told them to go do that. Now, was it just those apostles plus Paul? Were those the only ones? What about James 5? Paul, the apostle, was, or no, excuse me, James, uh, an apostle, was writing back here, and he told us in verse 14, is any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church. Well, he was writing to the scattered tribes of Israel, scattered all over, and those who were converted among them, who had ministers and elders among them, who were not apostles. Remember Paul told Titus, Timothy, to go about, I think it was Titus specifically, and ordain elders in every city. So they weren't apostles, they weren't evangelists. Is any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up, and if you have committed sins, they shall be forgiven. Confess your faults. He's talking about physical problems here primarily. One to another, and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual Fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Why did I challenge you on opening night to pray as you have never prayed before? We are part of the church of God. We can read about being a royal priesthood and a particular chosen people. And those things are all true. And we should be able to take comfort and confidence in those things. But it does not allow us the luxury of sitting down saying, we're God's people, therefore we must be okay, and things are all right. We need to move to another level. I'm not putting, saying these things to put you down or make you feel bad because you're on this particular step, or I'm on this particular step. We're climbing a stairs here towards some goals, toward accomplishing a job, toward building a temple our own personal one, and a temple together before God. So where we happen to be, I'm not going to berate you for, or me for, in that sense. What I am saying is we just need to keep climbing. We need to assess where we are on the stairway and move up a notch, and move up another notch toward our goal. If you want to sit down on the step you're on, 
and have a can of worms delivered and sit there and eat worms and feel sorry for yourself, okay. But I don't recommend it. Instead, look up. Look to the next step. Don't sit down and worry about where we are, but let's just assess where the next step is and what it's going to take to get there. Let's not be discouraged by where we are. Let's be encouraged that we have the Spirit of God and we can move elsewhere that we can make progress, that he is there to lend a helping hand. He cares just as much for us as he ever did for Job or anyone else. So this responsibility was extended to other elders, not just to those 12 disciples and later to Paul. Now, while we're here in James, I'll just turn back a little bit to James 1.17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom, is, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So God has good and perfect gifts that he is willing to give. Why did Christ say, we don't have these gifts? You have not because you ask not. You know what, I've read the spiritual gifts back there in 1 Corinthians 12, and I've been hesitant to ask for them. I thought it might be selfish or vain or egocentric to ask for those gifts of God. Now, is that a right attitude? Is that a right approach? We're going to go back there and read that a little bit and examine what Paul actually says about it. 1 Corinthians 7, 7, before we go there. 1 Corinthians 7, 7. For I would that all men were even as I, as I myself, but every man has his proper gift of God. Paul had the ability to live alone and celibate. And he said even that was a gift from God. He wished everyone could be that way because of the present distress. He figured the end of the earth, the end of the age was coming very shortly within his own lifetime, and he just felt that getting married was probably not a good thing to do at that point in time because you had to take care of a wife and possibly children, and it would be a distraction from doing what needs to be done. And he wished that everyone could handle it as he did, but he, he said it was a gift from God that he was able to do even that and it not bother him too much because it isn't natural and normal to be in that circumstance. So there are a lot of different gifts that can come from God. Now I want to go back to 2 Corinthians 12. No, 1 Corinthians 12. I'm going to get Corinthians straightened out this feast, I hope. I've had some of my loving brothers and sisters who told me I was looking for chapter 7 the other day when I got lost and couldn't find out what zeal we ought to have. All right, let's look at 1 Corinthians 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Paul said you should not be ignorant of this. I'm going to explain some things to you so that you will be in the know. 
So this is to open our eyes. This is to show us some things that we might be ignorant of. Maybe we've overlooked some things here. You know that you were Gentiles, and though we may here physically be part Gentile, part Israelite, and we don't even know really what we are for that, that matter, a lot of us, but we were all spiritual Gentiles, weren't we, until God called us and opened our minds. So it applies in that sense. You were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, even as you were led. Our society just led us into all kinds of things that had nothing to do with God. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaks by the Spirit of God, calls Jesus accursed or anathema, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are a lot of men who are standing up that's saying that he is Jesus, that he's the Lord, who are in the Methodist Church, the Baptist Church, and whatever church you want to name, they'll say that Jesus is Lord. But they don't know it. They don't know him. They have not had their minds open to the truth, and we must worship in spirit and truth, and no man can come except the spirit of the Father draw him. I don't think that there's a contradiction here. God has to open the mind by his spirit so that you know God. They don't know God. They're worshiping a false Christ. They're using the name, but they have no idea who he is or what he does how he reacts. They have a certain glib, uh, shallow understanding of Scripture. But they don't know the real God that you and I are coming to know. They do not have a relationship with him because they don't have his Holy Spirit. They have the Trinity. And the Trinity doesn't exist. So they have nothing, do they? They have an empty name that means nothing. And Paul is saying, you were out there like them. They can't confess who Jesus is because they don't even know him. If you don't obey his commandments, he says, I don't know you and you don't know me. He said that in his own words. And they don't keep his commandments. They say they're all done away. So they can mouth the words, but they don't know. But we have the Spirit of God, and we need to know. So he addresses this. You can understand this subject. Now, there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. Do you all look alike? Well, sort of. Two arms, two legs, a head. But we all look different. We're all part of the same body. My toe and my thumb are, I guess, somewhat similar, but they do look different. They are different. But my thumb or my hand is not supposed to smite my foot or my toe. They are to get along, even though they are somewhat different. There are differences of gifts. So just like in the body, we are different people. We have different backgrounds, different genealogies, different approaches. we got country backgrounds and city backgrounds. We don't see and perceive things always the same way. In fact, no two people perceive everything exactly the same anywhere, anytime. 
But the minute it seems in the church today someone disagrees with us a little bit, ooh, I'm going to another flock, or I'm going to form my own flock. Somebody would say those are words I shouldn't use because didn't I just form my own flock? <laughs> All I'm just trying to describe is what's the mess we've got. Look at the mess we've got in the church today. And part of it is because if we see somebody who disagrees with us a little bit, we just don't want to be around them. Now, two can't walk together unless they be agreed. Amos makes that very plain. But we are basically agreed. That's what we need to understand. We are basically agreed on most things. It's this, that, or the other thing that causes these splits and separations. There are differences of administrations, but God is over it all. There are diversities of operations or activities, but it is the same God which works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. I want us to understand that the things we're about to read about are not just for apostles. This is an apostle who is writing to a congregation of people. And he's going to tell them about spiritual gifts. The Spirit of God is given to every man and every one of us who receives that Spirit when we are baptized and have the laying on of hands is supposed to profit by that Spirit. It's not supposed to sit there and do nothing. It is to profit us. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. Now, we're not talking apostles here again. Some people are given more wisdom than others. To another, the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. We have varying degrees of knowledge in this group right here. Some of you hit the books and you get so much out of it, and some of us hit the books and we don't learn much. Or if we do, we forget it as soon as we read it and have to go back and read it again to, to try to re remember what it was we just knew. There are different abilities there. Does that make one better than the other? Because this one has a, a wisdom. This one tends to have knowledge. To another, faith by the same Spirit. Some people just seem to have more trust and more faith in God than other people do that maybe because of their personality, that's the way the Spirit of God reacts, and that is a gift that God gives. There's a scripture I found. I don't remember where it is right now. Oh, yeah, it's Romans 5.17. Uh, let me turn back there just a moment. I don't want to overlook that. Romans 5.17. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Did you know righteousness is also a gift? We're all seeking righteousness and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But this world can't understand God's righteousness, not what it really is. And we might have trouble understanding it too, except that unless God gives us that gift. 
I pray for righteousness all the time, but I never did ask for it as a specific gift. I prayed that God help me be righteous, but I don't think I ever asked for, in those words, the gift of righteousness. And here it is. Some people tend to be, I guess, more moral than others, just by nature or by upbringing. And other people just have a dickens of a time. Where did that word came from? Not Charles, I'm sure. Have a terrible time just basically leading a life that isn't full of all kinds of sin all the time. And they need to be purged and washed and given the gift of righteousness to get rid of all those daily sins, all kinds of debauchery perhaps. Let's go back now to 1 Corinthians 12. So we have gifts of wisdom and of knowledge, and we could say, yeah, I can see that some members of the congregation have more wisdom just in dealing with daily affairs than others, and with each other than others. Others tend to have good knowledge, whereas I can't remember a scripture if it slipped up on me, they'll say. People say, the older I get, I, I just can't remember scriptures anymore. I remember what they say, but I couldn't tell you where it is, and we're all afflicted with a certain amount of that, but some just have the ability to remember those things. So we can see that, but what about the gifts of healing? What's the application there? He's talking to every man here, not just the ministry. Does that mean helping others be healed? Does it mean being healed themselves? Probably both. It has to do with faith. It has to do with belief. It has to do with the approach. It has to do simply with a gift from God that they have that capacity Maybe by their prayers, maybe by their attitudes they help others. Maybe in some way, in a direct way, God will use everyday members to heal one another. That isn't the official form we've been given. That's given in James 5.14, which we just read. But God is able to work outside those parameters in whatever way he wishes. He can give a gift wherever he wants. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. Some can discern demons, and some don't know them if they slip up on them in the daylight. I heard an evangelist one time recommend that people go see E.T. and Star Wars. Well, you know, it has the negative and it has the positive. They don't know that's just a work of demons. They don't understand how Satan works through movies and television. And sometimes it's not just outright demonism, but it's anti-Christ. All kinds of sin that are portrayed before our eyes, which we shouldn't be watching. What did we read in Isaiah the other day about seeing no evil? And I didn't want to take off on that TV at that point, and still don't. But what do we bring into our own houses sometimes that are just absolute, downright evil and sometimes outright demonic? And we don't discern what it is. It appears as an angel of light to us, maybe, in some cases. Now, do we need the gift of understanding what's coming into our minds? 
I think we do. Maybe we have not because we ask not. Maybe we ask not because we don't really want to know because we enjoy what it is that we're doing. I don't know. A lot of different reasons, I suppose. And maybe it's just because we never realized we ought to ask. Or felt confident that God would do it. Maybe we didn't have that kind of faith. To another, different kinds of tongues. I think before this age is over, we're going to have people speaking in tongues. Different languages. I ran into a problem when I went over to uh, Angola. Or, well, no, maybe but some Angolans were there who spoke only Portuguese and not much English. And I had a terrible time trying to communicate with those people with sign language, which I don't know, and, uh, you know, hieroglyphics, <laughs> more or less. Boy, I would have liked the gift of tongues just to be able to speak Portuguese or for me to speak English and they could hear it in Portuguese. I think those things are going to have to happen. But does it have to be five years from now or ten years from now? Or, you know, you can, you can slide it off and say, maybe we don't need that right now. Well, maybe we don't need that particular one today. But we need these others day by day. But all these work that one and the self-same spirit dividing to every man, here again, every man, severally as he will. God will give these gifts to each man as he so chooses. And we don't have a whole lot of say because he's the one that does it. Now, he talks about the body parts down here next. For as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, Because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, Because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? We can say, I guess I'm just an ear, but I'm really not part of the body, and I'm not responsible for what happens to the foot or to the knee or to the hip or whatever. I'm an ear. I'm not a hip. But God says they're all attached together as one body. In other words, you can't cop out. You have to read this and understand that we all have a responsibility one to another. And we cannot hide it by saying, I'm removed from the body. I'm just an ear over here somewhere. The human body doesn't work that way. If you're an ear over here somewhere, you're not part of the body. Follow? You're over here and you're severed. You're cut off. Maybe this was easier to talk about when we were all one big church. And you had to be either part of that or out of that. But now we have a responsibility to find a place to be a part of a body. There are several bodies out there. Now, the only one body really overall is Jesus Christ and that church which he's formed, and there are members in all different places, different organizations. But when he looks at it, he sees those scattered through those organizations that are part of him and those which are hairs or whatever. 
he knows the difference. But he has not at this point drawn all those that are going to be a part of the final body together. Therefore, it leaves it on us as our responsibility to find a place where we can become a part of the body that is growing, that is becoming more like he is, because ultimately it's his body. And if we're part of the body of Christ, we have to be like he is. He has two ears. Now, I don't know who might form his left ear, but whoever forms his right ear needs to look an awful lot like the left ear, or he's going to look awful funny. Silly little analogy, but I think it makes the point. We have a responsibility to find those who are becoming like Christ. We have a responsibility to mix with those that we find that are growing. We need to find those that are growing. Amos says that during a period of time here there would be a partial famine, and people would go from city to city to find good food, good grass, as sheep. And if they went from city to city, they could find it. And then there's going to come a time, as Amos 8.11 says, when there is no grass available. But they will go from city to city, coast to coast, and not find it. Because that which has been a partial famine is going to become essentially a total famine. Now that puts you in a pretty perplexing place, doesn't it? Now I know God is going to raise up leaders that are going to have the spirit because all seven will come to those two candlesticks and they will provide oil to all of them Zechariah 4 they are told to take care of and feed God's flock so that is going to happen so there will be one place basically left that we can go we had better be finding out what kind of people we should be so that we can be included in that. This, this is classroom, brethren. This is a time to learn what God is doing and how he's going to do it, what he's going to do next, and get ourselves prepared so that we can be part of it. We do our part, he'll do our part, and we'll be there. But the majority of the church, 90% of the body, are going to wander from sea to sea and not be able to find because they won't recognize they won't have enough of God's Spirit, nor will they have had enough knowledge or understanding that they will recognize what needs to be done and where they need to be. And they will not have renewed their relationship with the Father and the Son to the point that they can even recognize. They will have drifted so far that they cannot see. Now, that's scary when you think nine out of ten will be in that position. It could, you be, it could be you and me if we don't do our part. We're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. So much the more as we see the time of drawing near as the manner and the custom of some is. Some are just becoming independent, saying, I don't need to be part of the body. I'll be an ear over here. I don't think you can do that. I think you need to seek out and find a viable place to be where there is growth 
and commit yourself to that body, whatever, wherever it may be for you. I've seen God put people in this organization and that organization because that seemed where they needed to be to grow at that particular time in their life. Maybe they had just come out of Worldwide after being there for 15 years and they needed something better than that, but they weren't ready for something really strong yet. So God put them in a place where they could grow gradually and then later on they drift somewhere else and slowly get to stronger and stronger meat. God will take care of us, but I think we had better be alert and alive and realize the times that we are living in. These are not happy times and good times as far as the overall church is concerned, and it's going to get better before uh, going to get worse before it gets better. The scattering is going to continue. It isn't done yet until the spiritual houses are knocked flat. The hedge is being taken away, as he tells us in Isaiah 5. And many great and fair houses will fall. Where can you grow? Where are you going to get stimulation? You need to find some people that will give you that, and you need to attach yourself to them, and you need to grow with them. And I need to do the same. And I think that I can do it with a lot of you. from what I've seen in three days gives me hope that I can grow by being around you. I've heard some mighty fine sermonettes from men who have not been recognized as ministers and elders ever in all the years they've been in God's church. I've heard sermonettes here that have been as good as any I ever heard anywhere. I'll tell you that right out front. I want to be with you folks (laughs) if you'll have me. I want to grow with you. I want to hear you. I want to hear your experiences. I want to see your faith. I want to become one body with you, a part of you. And I want you to be a part of me. I don't want us to be a whole bunch of individuals. We have a few days left here. Fellow back there told us, it's the third day. We're going to be going soon. Thanks. Maybe after nine days, I'll agree with him. It's My spirit is still willing, but my body probably will be weak. <laughs> I know in the last year at the Tabernacles in, in Africa, I wanted it to go on yet another eight days, but I think that my spirit would have lasted that long, but my body would have fallen in a pile somewhere along the line. So God made it as long as it needs to be, and the body can only take so much, and it needs to get back to its home environment, I guess unless God leads it out into the desert somewhere and lets it wander for 40 years. I mean, there are contingencies, but normally speaking, God knew what he was doing and uh, had it all in mind and knew how long we should be here. But we have X number of days left to weld ourselves into a body, to become parts one of another, to interact with one another, to become friends with one another, to share some experiences. I can already feel it slipping away, as Bill said. I am not going to have time to get to know each and every one of you as well as I would love to during this piece of tabernacles. There simply aren't enough hours. 
I guess when I was awake this morning about 2, I could have gone and beat on somebody's door and said, I have a couple hours here of insomnia. Would you like to visit? <laughs> and you would have probably said, no wham. <clears throat> but there simply aren't enough hours, and it grieves me that I don't have a day to spend with each one of you. But then we've got 65, 70 days we've got to deal with. So I, it's impossible. And, I, well, it's just a frustration, that's all. But let's visit as much as we can. And, and with some, you're going to feel an immediate attraction here. Spend a little more time with them than you might with someone else and develop a deeper bond. But don't limit it to that just because they happen to like cowpeas and you do too. Include everyone as friends and brothers as much as possible and get to know as many as we possibly can and form a bond because we are going to be facing some trying times in the next months and years. And we need to be as close as we can. Blood is thicker than water. And we all have Christ's blood, which is a very rare thing shed for us. Not many people have the luxury of having that blood covering their sins every day gives us a new day every day and we have that blood in common so we may not be all of us related by physical human blood but we are related by that and it is a deeper bond and a better bond than that physical blood ever could be and should be what did Jesus Christ say when his mother his very own the Virgin Mary I say that in sarcasm. I mean his own mother who bore him. And he had greater love, greater compassion, greater concern, and a deeper bond with his parents than probably any of us have ever had with ours because he was Jesus Christ and did everything right. When it came time to work with his disciples and those people who were following, he was inside, and his very own mother and brothers, sisters said, we want to see him. He sent word back out, Mom and the kids have got to wait. This is my family. We have to put God's people who are being called and are going to be a part of the Bride of Christ ahead of our relatives out there, they are more important to us. And I think most of us have come to feel that way over the years. Christ said, if you will follow me, it will divide father, mother, brother, sister, and so on. And you will have to choose your brothers and sisters in the church. So by nature, some of you are bound close to your physical relatives, and some of you just soon they never come around. And it varies depending on which relative it is. But here we are, half-step neighbor-in-laws or some such thing, and we are to be bound closer together, together than we are with those physical relatives because of the commonness of the bond of the Spirit of the living God. And we need to take advantage of that because he's given it to us, and it is only by that Spirit that peace and righteousness and unity can come. That's the only way, is through the Spirit of God. This world doesn't know the way of peace, We've been given the way of peace if we will only seize it, hold it, use it. 
the buck has to stop somewhere, and it might as well stop here. We might as well put our nose to the grindstone and accept and commit ourselves to the way of peace. There's a good study for you. Study peace. Learn how to be a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers. Do you know how to make peace? Do you know how to make peace with people here when you get juxtaposed against each other for one reason or another? Do you know how to go about it? Maybe it'd be worth studying. Because usually when we fall out with one another, we just sort of split. I won't be around them. I, you know, I don't like to look on their face. It doesn't have to be anything. Some offhand comment somebody might make that offends you so deeply. Whereas with the Spirit of God, it says nothing will offend them. But we don't have enough of the Spirit of God, obviously, because it's so easy for us to get offended. It's so easy for us not to knit together and bond as friends because we see that they're not just like we are. And if we see differences, well, I don't want to be around that person. Maybe you just don't know that person yet. Maybe you haven't walked a mile in their moccasins. And maybe that grimace on their face isn't because of you, but maybe it's just because they have a bad disc in their back. You don't know why they're frowning. Maybe somebody just snatched their hair out. <laughs> it's so easy to misread one another. But we can't afford to. If there's something wrong between us, we need to come to each other and say, you frowned at me yesterday. I thought, what was wrong? Did, am I ugly? <laughs> Did I say something out of line? <laughs> and they'll probably say, check your ego at the door. I wasn't even looking at you. <laughs> I had a headache. You think that's all I do is think about you and frown at you? You never know what's going through people's minds and hearts. you got to get to know them, and you have to learn to communicate. Husbands and wives have difficulty doing it. How much more trouble will you and I have getting it done here? But we need to swallow our inhibitions. We need to become family. You know, families quarrel. Families fight, but they don't necessarily, or shouldn't at least, totally split up because that blood is there. I know I've had wrangles and go-rounds with my brothers and sisters at times, and these three aren't speaking to those two, and these, this one isn't speaking to those three, and Dad and Mom aren't speaking to this, this kid right now. They will speak to this one, but uh, six months from now they'll get over this and talk to this, and we'll be mad at that one. That's just the way it seems to work in families. Well, maybe yours isn't like that, but mine is, and that's the way most have been. And some family members we can be closer to than others. And, and, and that's okay as brothers and sisters here. You'll find some that you have an affinity for, and there's nothing wrong with that as long as you don't exclude the others. And we love each other together as one body. What time of the day is it getting to be? It's time to quit. And I didn't make it through the first chapter. But we can't say we don't have need of one another in verse 21. Paul tells us that clearly. We cannot say we don't have need of one another. We would like to think of ourselves as an island at times, but no man is an island. No man stands alone. If he thinks he does, he's going to fall. He 
just simply can't say, the eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. I don't think of my toes too often unless I get an ingrown toenail. Roy probably doesn't think of his toe very often unless it swells up and splits. And then suddenly you realize that toe's pretty important. It's hard to walk if you have a sore toe or a bulging disc or whatever. Those members you don't think about very much, God put there on purpose. Every piece of the body he put there on purpose. He designed very, very carefully the human body. And even those parts which seem uncomely or feeble or unnecessary are pretty necessary. They haven't figured out what the uh, appendix is for yet. It's a vestigial organ, they say. It has a purpose. God didn't just have an extra piece left over that he forgot, you know, and, and well, let's see, let's stick it here. God knew exactly what he was doing when he designed the human body, and Paul uses that exact human body, and it's used over and over throughout the Bible to describe his church. So every, every last one of us has a purpose. There are no appendices here, or appendixes here, no afterthoughts in that sense. If you are an appendix, it's because God formed you as an appendix. And he has a purpose for that appendix, whether you and I can see what it is yet or not. So let's not blow each other off that easily as one that isn't necessary or as important as certainly I am. That there should be, verse 25, no schism, no split, no breach in the body, but that members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and as I just said, members in particular. Set there. There is no one in God's church by accident. They were either sent there as a tear by Satan, or they were chosen and put there by God on purpose. And if he showed that kind of respect to each and every one of us, we should show that same respect to each other as members of the body of Christ. Love one another. And he mentions the offices given specifically in the church for specific operations. But let's skip on down to verse 31 for lack of time. It says, But desire earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. All these gifts he named are excellent gifts, and we should desire them earnestly. The gifts of prophesying, of knowledge, of wisdom, of healing, of tongues, of casting out and discerning, discerning and casting out demons. We need to earnestly desire those gifts. And if we earnestly desire them, what are we going to do? We are going to get on our knees and ask God for them. Maybe we're not sick today. Maybe we don't need healing today. Therefore, we don't imploringly beseech God for the gift of healing. But we heard yesterday of a lady who really needs healing. We heard today of a man who really needs healing. And there are many, many others. Do we feel for those people 
like we would feel if we were dying. And the members together of the same body and members in particular and all needing one another. He said, desire these things earnestly, but I show you a more excellent way. And we sang it. That we love each other deeply, lovingly, kindly, affectionate toward each other, ready to give and serve and love and help and encourage and exhort one another. I won't have time to go through all of that today. But that's the point of this whole thing. Paul talks about these gifts, and then he talks about organizing and how the gifts are to be used. But the point of, of the whole thing is God gives these gifts to the body so that all might participate and be blessed by the gift that each and every one has. That's the purpose of the whole thing. It isn't so that you can look to that man and say, well, he can heal, he can prophesy, she can uh, serve the brethren. She can heal, maybe. It isn't for personal gratification. It's for the sake of the whole body. So let's pray for the gifts of God the gift of righteousness, the gift of love, the gift of healing. Let's pray very hard that God will give us those things because they are gifts. And when we ask for a fish, God doesn't give us a snake. He is our loving Father who loves us. And we have not because we ask not. And if we haven't, maybe we've asked, but we haven't asked imploringly and as the woman before the unjust steward persistently enough. There are a lot of factors that can come into this. But what I want us to do today is recognize that we are to be self-governing and that we are a body together and that we depend on each other and we suffer for each other. And if one man sins, whether we know it or not, there's a direct effect because the giver of blessings and the giver of gifts decides whether to bless his congregation on the overall righteousness of that congregation and whether in some cases even one man sins like Achan. So we need these gifts for all of us because when they hurt or he hurts or I hurt or you hurt, we're supposed to all hurt. And then when God gives us a blessing of a healing or of insight into prophecy or of a casting out of a spirit or extra knowledge or somebody uses real wisdom in dealing with someone, then we all rejoice together because God has blessed. So let's let everyone's pain be our pain, and let's confess our pain to others so that they can share in our pain. And then as we have blessings and as we have gifts and as we have answers to prayer, let's spread it to each other and all take joy that we have turned to God and he has turned our, his face to us and he has blessed us in whatever way he tends to bless us. Let's count our blessings, as the old Protestant song goes. I, I kind of like that one in a way. They did away with it, but, man, we do need to count our blessings. And we need to name them one by one as they come. don't know whether we ought to start singing again because it had sort of that Protestant lilt to it, but, but there was an awful good message in that song. 
I guess that's really all I want to say is let's feel each other. Let's feel for each other, be it a need or be it a blessing, because we are all one body, and the body has to work together in order for it to operate efficiently. I saw a guy with a crippled leg the other day, hurt his leg, and his whole body was not working efficiently just because his hind leg wanted to drag a little bit. So you see one of your brothers here dragging, pick him up, help him. That's what it's all about. That's what the purpose of this whole thing is. Otherwise, we could just have a relationship with God and go out in the desert all by ourselves, and we could have salvation, and we could go up and ignore each other in the kingdom too. <laughs> you want to live in isolation as an island in the kingdom of God? Well, don't even think about it. It won't happen. It won't happen. If we don't learn to interact and love each other as much as Christ loves each of us, we won't be there. So we've got a job. We've got a challenge. Are we going to reach the next stair? Let's don't sit down and be discouraged by this. Let's all pray for each other, and let's move up a step. We have the opportunity, and our Father is standing up there with his hands held out saying, you can step up another few inches. Take another step. Take another step. What about Peter when he walked out of the boat? There to sink. Come on, come on. I'll, uh, give me a hand. Come on, step up here. Take another step. You can walk on water. He wasn't quite convinced of that. Brethren, we've got to become convinced we can walk on water. Then we will have the faith of Jesus Christ.